Where do you want to start? What do you feel like talking about? I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. So just, you know, I usually like record with both my phone and the iPad back up so that like, I don't yeah. have anything that's like, I only, I didn't write down much. I just wrote down some interesting notes. Here, go ahead. Those are the voices of our colleague Seth Wickersham and the elusive former quarterback of the Colts, Andrew Luck. A one-time superstar, a would-be face of the NFL, who has spent the last four years more or less hiding from public view. Seth and Andrew spent hours talking to each other over seven different interview sessions about pretty much everything. What Luck used to spend his life doing, why he suddenly stopped doing it, and all the stuff he's doing now. He even led him in to his journal. When I started trying it, especially in the mornings, yep. waking up, getting some thoughts on paper. I read a little bit of Julia Cameron's book, The Art of Listening. She suggested like three things. It was like, go on a walk every day. Within the first 45 minutes of waking up, write three pages of sort of stream of consciousness, whatever's on your mind. And, and would, would you handwrite? Handwrite, for <clears throat> sure. And for some reason, I started to really enjoy that. And it made me feel like I could, like I was way more present. Luck was the first overall pick in the 2012 NFL draft. This generational cerebral quarterback who actually lived up to the hype, making Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl before shocking the world at age 29 when he suddenly announced that he was retiring from football entirely in 2019. So I asked Seth what Luck told him about the days surrounding that mysterious decision. I think that he, in his mind, had been retired maybe months earlier before he actually announced it. He hurt his foot during the 2018 season. And as you fast forward into 2019, the rehab wasn't going well. And he felt himself going back into this cycle of pain and torment and most of all, not liking who he was, that version of himself. And I think that at the time, he felt like that he could not be the quarterback he wanted to be and be the husband and father and friend and person he wanted to be. And his priorities had changed. Colts executives, general manager Chris Ballard, head coach Frank Reich, tried to talk him out of it. Chris Ballard said at one point to him, when are you going to turn it on? And Luck replied, I'm not. Mm. What they didn't understand was that he was opting out of this. He didn't want to be part of that culture anymore. The stunning retirement announcement that rocked the NFL, Indianapolis Colts star, quarterback Andrew Luck, he called it quits at 29 years old. This will go down as one of the most shocking retirements in pro sports history. And in doing so, he's making a statement, there's more to life than football. He had written his retirement speech the week before he officially announced it, sitting in his kitchen, writing longhand on a notepad and then typing things in. The, the document was titled A Luck First Draft. <laughs> and I asked him at one point, what, what's it like writing, handwriting that first sentence? Oh, it's a great question. I think it had, I had, it had been real enough for me at that moment that it wasn't like a, I was not overcome by putting pen to paper. It felt like this is what I need to do. You know, I'm going to retire, so I need to... And, I, and it is 
in circumstances that are not <laughs> normal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was really strange for him to write because usually retirements, as you know, are celebratory events, but nobody, yeah, nobody, not even luck was celebrating this one. Yes. In his retirement speech, he used a lot of very precise language, like I have a lot of clarity on this. It's the right decision for me. It is certainly isn't how I uh, envision this or plan this, uh, but but I am going to retire. Uh, this is not an easy decision. Uh, honestly, it's the hardest decision of my life. Uh, but it is the right decision for me. And he used a phrase, it's time to remove myself from football. It's a really interesting phrase to use. For the last four years or so, I've been in this cycle of injury, pain, rehab, injury, injury pain, rehab. Uh, and it's been unceasing unrelenting both in season both in and off season and the only way forward for me is to remove myself from football in this cycle that i've been in he goes home that night and he's in like a strange kind of fog like he couldn't pick an emotion They were all tangled together. It was relief mixed with mourning, guilt mixed with a profound unburdening. And he stepped into his bathroom in his condo in downtown Indianapolis. He turned on the water, waited for it to get hot, and he stepped in the shower and in the rising steam just cried. I remember hopping in the shower and and crying then, like just hopping in the, the shower and crying. I think tears, like grief, sadness, loss in a sense Uh still conflicted it was letting everything out what he knew right then even if he wasn't able to articulate it was that the hardest part wasn't walking away and maybe even the hardest part of it wouldn't have been staying in football the hardest part was not knowing what came next and knowing that he was destined to find out So today, we bring you the untold story of Andrew Luck, who speaks at length on the record for the very first time about why he really left, where he's been, and how football, once again, is in his future. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Tuesday, December 6th. This is ESPN Daily. So I should mention, Seth, right up here that literally everybody has been trying to get an interview with Andrew Luck, like national guys, beat guys, podcasters. I, I should say, pathetically slid into the DMs of his roommate at Stanford, even hoping to get his voice onto this show. And Luck has passed on everything. He has refused every single in-depth interview until now with you specifically. So how did you get him to do this? Two months after he retired, I sent him an email and I basically just said, hey, I'm really interested in learning more about the forces that led you to retire. My sense is that you're probably still figuring them out because there was all kinds of questions that his retirement raised for me, like about identity, about when you dedicate yourself to your craft to the degree that he did 
any driven person knows you don't just walk away from not only that craft and the remnants of it, but that person that you were. Hmm. So who was he next? And I just made clear that I was willing to talk whenever he was. And he wrote me back and he said, I appreciate it. I want to talk to you. It might be two weeks, two months. It might be two years. And it ended up being about two years. We stayed in touch. <laughs> I never asked him why he, you know, of all the people he decided to meet with me. But we were at his, his house one morning. We were in the kitchen and he's got a beautiful, bright and spacious house that's nestled on a lake north of Indianapolis. He designed it actually, de deploying his Stanford architecture degree mm. to create a place built for a quarterback, he told me. Of course, the quarterback doesn't live there anymore. And so its physical therapy room is now a guest room. A film room is now a study. And the house is five minutes from the Colts facility. He drives past that facility almost daily, you know, confronting his former self. But right. yeah, we were in the kitchen and he goes, you know why you're here, right? And I sort of looked at him like, no, I don't. And um, he goes, because you ski. <laughs> he had done some research on me and learned that I extreme ski. You're like a hella skier, Seth, from Alaska. Yeah, people should know that too. He, he loves extreme skiing. I think at one point I had mentioned to him, maybe we could go skiing together. But then COVID hit and, you know, nobody really knew how to go forward from there. And he had a small child. So we didn't end up doing that. But um, he mentioned that and it kind of just made me laugh because, you know, maybe it's true. I don't really know. Well, it seems like you respect it at the very least that you have also risked your life. There you go. Doing, uh, yeah, insane athletic pursuits. But hold on, because Andrew Luck, in my mind, right, like, is this guy, he's the guy with the flip phone, he's the guy with the book club, he was almost, like, consciously trying to be the thinking man's quarterback, it felt like, and successfully pulling it off in ways that were impressive to me from afar. That's kind of why I was so curious about, like, how the hell he came to this crossroads in his life. But you're telling me that he's skiing now? That's his. That's how he spends his time? He has thought, and I'm not joking about this, about his first post-NFL career working in ski patrol in Colorado. <laughs> that's how much he enjoys, you know, being out on the mountain. And I think, like, after he retired from the Colts, he tried to find these new outlets for his ethic and his obsessions. His wife, Nicole, has encouraged him to row on the lake that they live in. I took some rowing lessons. Nicole's Father's Day gift to me was rowing oh, cool. lessons because there's a rowing club here. And I went out. I ended up on a boat, a doubles boat, three or four times with a woman named Sharon. And she was like a, uh, she just she just retired last last month as a as a, like an administrative nurse from the Children's Hospital. And okay. it was so fucking cool. I love sports. I love trying new things like sailing, surfing, and skiing again. And like, it's been awesome. And he also fishes, which is kind of interesting. He started fishing when he retired. And, you know, I think he fishes for the same reason that everyone does. The quiet and the detachment, the hope and adrenaline, and how it's something he can do by himself or with other people. It was really funny because we go down to this river that's near his house, that's on a property that's owned by a friend of his. And we walk past some school children who I think were at, at camp. And, and they all kind of stare at him as he walks past holding this fishing pole and in his waders. Because, look, he's still Andrew Luck around Indianapolis. He's still the guy who provided all this hope. And people look at him hoping that he might provide that hope once again. Right. But he walks down to the river and, and we spend about two hours there. And we're talking. And it's like, it was the funniest thing because he would be talking about his thought process in terms of why he retired or who he is now. And then he would just stop and just that classic Andrew Luck goofy 
laugh of his and yes. the exclamation points because he was so excited at the number of trout that he was catching. And he actually later told me it was his best morning ever at that river. Still fishing with you on, on up on the creek was like my yeah. most my best day of fishing ever. Yeah. <laughs> Probably yeah. because of the man holding the net. Yeah, the answers you'd give were just funny. Yeah. While I'm fishing? Yeah, you'd say, no, and I was just in a bad place and oh shit. Oh, f yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But you're also describing a complicated portrait right now insofar as this guy left football to live five minutes from the practice facility. How much football is in Andrew Luck's life in like a literal sense? Not much. His days are mostly spent doing whatever activity he wants and being a stay-at-home dad. His wife is a television producer. She travels a lot for work. He is at home with their daughter, Lucy. And there was one morning that we were there. It was a late morning. And he was in his kitchen. And he pulls out some eggs and some bacon while talking on the phone. It was astute parental multitasking. <laughs> and he starts making Lucy a little one-egg omelet on a teeny little iron pan. And it was amazing and amusing to watch him in that context, measured against what he could be doing today. If he had wanted, he would be entering his 11th NFL season probably with a contract worth double the $139 million deal he signed in 2016. Oh, yeah. Easily. He, he might have a Super Bowl or two. And he also might be single and angry mm. and leaving himself to wonder if it was all worth it. One of the things that we've come to accept about Andrew Luck, and this goes back to his years at Stanford, is that he was a very worldly guy, that he could have done a lot of different things. He could have been a politician or an architect or a scientist, but he chose to play quarterback, and he happened to be a generational talent, the most highly decorated prospect since John Elway. But in fact, he was actually very limited. For someone whose life seemed limitless, he was a quarterback, and he was a junkie. And I asked him at one point, So how much of your self-identity was tied to being a quarterback? A lot. A lot. And I didn't realize it until after the fact. And he said, a lot, and I didn't realize that until after the fact. Since he's retired, he's asked himself a lot of questions, and two of the ones that circle around the most are what did his retirement reveal about himself, and what does he want to do with the rest of his life? Hmm. And most days at sunrise, with his coffee, he sits at one of two desks in his study, and he writes down his thoughts. He journals for the process of journaling, not only to help him sort out his thoughts but to help him feel closer to a question that he's constantly asking himself. And that's, what story am I telling myself? Well, the version of the story that I think most people remember probably starts 10 years ago, right? When the Colts designate Andrew Luck the heir apparent to Peyton Manning, this Hall of Famer, the civic icon, this national celebrity. When they draft Luck first overall, what did he tell you about that grand sort of an entrance into the NFL? I think that he entered maybe naive to just how big those expectations were, even though he knew and felt how big those expectations were. 
Yeah, right after he was drafted, we saw him wide-eyed and seemingly thrilled about how huge this specific job was going to be. You told me in the back, I, I can't wait to this moment till I get on stage. Yeah. But tell them what you're looking for to the moment. Uh, I just, you know, anxious to get started. You know, you want to be part of the team. You want to get started and get going. And, you know, can't wait to be in a new locker room with a bunch of great guys. Can you tell the any fans something personally? Personally, just, you know, I can't wait. I can't wait. Can't wait to get out there and represent the city to the best of my ability. Media expectations are one thing. The team expectations are something totally different. And when he got to the Colts, the organization had been run by Peyton Manning for all of those years. <laughs> you know, he expanded the influence and impact of one player. And there was an expectation for Luck to do the same. He was 22 years old. He had no idea how to run a professional football team. He was most comfortable being one of the guys, which he had essentially been at Stanford. That required a rewiring for Andrew Luck and tapping into a part of his personality that always existed and that maybe he didn't want to acknowledge. What part of that personality ended up coming to the forefront in the NFL that he had been trying to suppress? How did that manifest itself in like day-to-day -day life? He became in control of everything that he could. I think that he felt under so much pressure and playing a coin flip of a game that he felt he had to exert some level of control or at least feel like he was exerting a level of control over the outcome of it. And so he became someone he didn't exactly want to be. He was running offensive meetings. He was so involved in blocking and route running techniques that players nicknamed him the assistant tight ends coach. <laughs> I mean, when people would visit his condo and it was getting close to his 9.52 bedtime during the season, Wait, his bedtime is specifically 9.52? <laughs> it is exactly 9.52. But Andrew would disappear to the bathroom, brush his teeth, get ready for bed, re-emerge into the living room wearing nothing but boxers, say goodnight, and turn off the lights to the entire condo, <laughs> signaling that it was time for everyone to go home. Yeah, I gotta say, that's profound weirdo behavior, Seth. He simplified his life to extremes. There was famously, you know, he, he had the flip phone, and you know, right. he was famous for that, but because it, it limited his access to the world. Mm. And trying to control every variable extended to dinners out where he would sit down with everyone that he was out to dinner with in order for them, unprompted, unasked. <laughs> he would just decide what everyone was going to eat. And, you know, he later told me to play quarterback, you're not allowed to worry about anything except the task at hand. And that seeps into other areas of life. And it's not the healthiest way to live. The adult who is ordering food for every other adult at the table, because this is just how his mind has been consumed, it sounds like, by a job that seeks control to accommodate the randomness of how football works. That does feel like verging on sociopathic now. And it worked. Like, that's the thing. Whether <laughs> right. it was because of that <laughs> right. or whether he believed it was because of that, it worked. He delivered in these huge moments, helping rally the Colts from a 38 to 10 third quarter deficit against the Chiefs in the playoffs in his second season. Luck out of the gun again. Andrew takes the snap, sets up, looks, looks, looks. He's going to throw one way down there to T.Y. He's got it. He's going to score. He's going to score. He's going to score. The Colts have tied it on a 64 yard pass play from Andrew Luck to T.Y. Hilton. It's 44 44. He made the AFC Championship game. No time.
time left. Game over. Colts win. Colts win and go to the AFC Championship with a 24-13 win over the Denver Broncos at Mile High Stadium. That team was progressing, and he was going to live up to everything that both the fans wanted him to be and that he wanted him to be. And he was tough, Seth. So tough. Yeah, like conspicuously courageous when it came to taking hits. Yeah, at a time when Tom Brady was talking about playing until age 45 because he never got hit. Right. (laughs) Andrew Luck was almost proud of the hits that he took and the punishment that he absorbed. And it seemed to be working for him until the second quarter of the third game of the 2015 season. The Colts were playing the Tennessee Titans. It was third down. And defensive end Brian Arakpo hit Luck from behind and drove him into the ground. Luck just took a peek at it on third down. He's looking to the middle. He's under pressure and he goes down. Brian Arakpo. It didn't look like a particularly brutal hit. But when Luck hopped up, he winced kind of briefly and it was obvious that something was wrong. He had torn his right labrum, but frankly, he had no choice but to be all right. He knew it and everyone knew it. He had what he told me, a deep, 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 deep code within himself to never see to pain Hmm. and to not even discuss it. There was a part of me that I knew if I started a game, I had to finish it, no matter what. Like, that was part of of what I believed, believed, like deep belief was as the quarterback, if I started the game, I was finishing it. And he told me, if you're playing scared in any way, shape, or form, it does not work. Once you start thinking of that, you're slower. It doesn't, like, if you're playing scared in any way, shape, or form, like, it does, it does not work. But that, that feels fundamentally unsustainable, I guess, now in the light of day, right? The idea that if I am at all scared, I cannot be who I, I believe myself to be. It was absolutely unsustainable, but it felt like the best course of action for the time. He ends up missing the rest of the 2015 season, both with the shoulder injury and with a lacerated kidney. He ends up signing a new contract before the 2016 season, which just makes him feel more anxious, more pressure. He was in his own kind of private hell. His mind started to anticipate torment as he threw, and he was wondering whether his like brain was preemptively shutting down his body in those lucid split seconds between spotting an open receiver and delivering the ball. Sometimes watching other quarterbacks throw made him cringe. When the Colts had a preseason opener that August against the Green Bay Packers, the game was canceled due to turf conditions, and he was secretly relieved, not because he didn't have to play, because he was never going to play in that preseason game, but because he didn't have to warm up. (laughs) That's how psychologically damaged he was going into that season, and really, he was the only one who knew. So that degree of physical and psychological damage, how long could he keep all of that a secret? So he plays the 2016 season. After the season, he has shoulder surgery out at Stanford. And even though he was following the guidelines, it still isn't working. And the owner of the team, Jim Ursay, is telling reporters that his progression could not be better when quietly the season is starting to come around and luck still cannot go. Everything in his life became measured in terms of whether it helped or hurt his shoulder. The season begins in 2017. He's not playing. The team and Luck go on a secret tour of shoulder specialists around the country 
to see if they could figure out what's wrong. At one point, he throws passes on the top of a parking garage. Chris Bauer, the GM, told me the passes look pretty good, but he was in so much pain. Mm. And every doctor wanted to cut into him, wanted to be the person to, to save Andrew Luck. His original doctor at Stanford told him what the shoulder needed most was what Luck wanted to hear least, and that's time. So he calls this trainer named Willem Kramer, who he had met years earlier due to some connections with his dad, and who had run a rehab center in his native of Holland. Kramer told him he was under too much pressure in Indianapolis, and he needed a new environment, and he said, just you, Nicole, and your shoulder. And he suggested going to his treatment facility in Holland. Luck finally got around to thinking that was the best idea. And he boarded Jim Irsay's plane for Holland, not knowing what would happen next. We'll be right back. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Seth, it is November 2017 now, and Andrew Luck has just arrived in Holland, where he was told to only take his shoulder, which I've now met in detail, uh, (laughs) and his wife, Nicole, who I have not yet met. So where is she fitting into this entire picture? Well, in his first day at Holland, he shows up at this training facility and they had him do a drill called Snow Angels, where he lays on his back and he had to lift two and a half pound dumbbells an inch above the ground and motion his arms over his head. And he tried and he could not do it with his right arm. Mm. That's how damaged his shoulder was. And Andrew wasn't communicating. And yet Nicole felt uniquely equipped to help him. She had been an incredible gymnast, both at her native Czech Republic and in the States. She invented her own move on the uneven bars at Stanford. And before she was 21 years old, She had broken a shin, an ankle, her back. She had torn up her knee. Mm. And so she knew better than most people how to try to manage pain and what it means when you have to consider life beyond your sport. He told me, I understood myself best as a quarterback and I felt no understanding, no understanding of other parts of myself at all. And Nicole was, was ready to leave him if he couldn't change. And then one night in Holland, he just starts crying in front of Nicole. He vents, he confesses, and most of all, he explains his emotions in a way that he had never done before and that Nicole didn't even know if he was capable of. Mm. And he told me that he was self-absorbed, he was withdrawn, he was in pain, he was feeling pressure. And in a lot of ways, like that night, was the beginning of everything that was to come. And then he started to talk more to Willem Kramer, who kind of became not only a trainer, but a a couples counselor of sorts to them. 
he was at the beginning stages of shedding his former life. Like when they went out for pizza and Andrew started to go down his dictatorial path of ordering for everyone, Willem was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> I don't want a margarita pizza. I want something else. Why would you order for people? Yeah. And one day when they sat down, Kramer asked Luck, aren't you more than a quarterback? And Luck was like, huh? Like, he wasn't quite sure he was. And he told Kramer at one point, I need to throw. <laughs> And Kramer says, you're not ready to throw. And Andrew says, I need to throw. And Kramer says, why? And he says, I just, I need to. And Kramer said to him, you matter. And when you can't throw, you still matter. So Kramer at that point is not only helping him heal his shoulder and throw without pain, but he's helping him see himself as something other than a quarterback. So Luck ultimately spends weeks rehabbing in Holland. He comes back to the United States and he's still not ready to play when he gets back, right? I mean, he misses all of the 2017 season. The Colts go a sad 4-12 and 12 without him. And by the start of the next season, how does Luck feel in terms of actually finally throwing a football? His shoulder felt great. All that rest had worked. And all of the rehab that he put in with Willem, it worked. And he comes back for the 2018 season throwing pain-free. Mm. He has one of the best seasons of his career, maybe the best, throwing 42 touchdown passes in the playoffs and the regular season combined. He wins comeback player of the year. And he does it all while dealing with a nagging ankle injury. And that's important. He never thought it was a big deal, but it continued to bother him. You're describing now like the cycle resetting itself almost. It absolutely started all over again. All of the scar from the past showed up. He was in enormous pain. And three MRIs revealed nothing. And Luck started to articulate things that he had previously only spoken to Nicole about, which was walking away from football. One day in training camp in 2019, Luck sat down with Anthony Costanzo, who was a left tackle for the Colts, and he asks a familiar question, who am I? Well, this time the answers were different. He wasn't just a quarterback. He and Nicole had gotten married. She was pregnant with Lucy. He had responsibilities beyond the Colts and beyond the team. And he took those responsibilities really seriously. And he felt like there was nothing in football that he wanted to do anymore. Mm. He had decided to walk away that he was going to retire. He was resolute, even though the Colts tried to talk him out of it. And they formed a secret plan. They were going to announce it the Sunday after a preseason game against the Chicago Bears at Lucas Oil Field. And so this is how we finally get to that fateful Saturday night. Because it's the preseason, it's the Chicago Bears visiting Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. And there's Andrew Luck on the sideline in his street clothes. What happens? Yeah, he's having a good time. He's sitting with some of his buddies and, and they're doing what they do during preseason games. Watch the game, kind of make fun of some of the players who are a little too overeager to make the roster. And then with about eight minutes left, something changed. The mood in the building shifted. The cameras started turning towards him. And the Colts PR guy comes over to him and he says, well, it's out. So the Bears are set to kick this off. And you see Andrew Luck on the sidelines. And you see the graphic on the screen. There is a report that has been filed by Adam Schefter of ESPN 
that Andrew has informed the team of his desire to retire from the National Football League. We went from a fun night here at the yard to one of the stunning possibilities in franchise history. And those final minutes felt like they took forever. He just had to sit there and watch this entire fervor rally and surround him. What was it like on the field for those last couple minutes? Oh, it was so weird. It was so weird. I remember feeling like I had like this sinking feeling when I saw a camera, like one of the sideline local news cameras, like on me on the bench. Like just this realization with that, with that piece of information that oh shit, this this just happened. Could you feel like the crowd talking about it? Yeah, I could feel that, which was which was also bizarre which was also bizarre. Andrew had nowhere to go. He was on the bench, he was frozen, he was scared, and the crowd started to boo him. Yeah, I mean, you could hear that. I mean, Seth, you could hear the boos. Totally. And as he started approaching the tunnel, the crush of booze got louder and more personal. I remember getting booed, which was just so odd for me to experience in Indianapolis. And that, yeah. that hurt at the time. Yeah. You know, um, as much as I wish I could say it didn't hurt, it hurt. Yeah. When he goes into the locker room, all the players were staring at their phones reading news about their teammate who was mere feet from them. Most of them didn't know that he was going to retire. Mm. So it ended up being kind of a rush thing where he he breaks down as he tells the team that he's going to walk away. And then he has to deliver his press conference. Yeah, I vividly remember how how big, how truly surprising this news was to us in the media. So I can only imagine how his teammates were processing this. Well... I mean, it was a sports story that transcended sports. I mean, it was nobody had ever done what he did, retiring a franchise quarterback, retiring at age 29. It just didn't happen. It had never happened before. Nobody had just walked away like he did. He ended up going home. The next morning, he wakes up a total peace. I don't remember specifics really beyond an overwhelming sense of relief, like, like true relief. And I don't think I felt that type of unburdening ever. And that afternoon, he finally turns on his flip phone. <laughs> and all of these text messages start pouring in. And remember, with those teeny little screens on the flip phone, yeah. you can't save text messages. It's not as organized. He didn't know what to do. You can barely fit a full sentence onto that screen. And he wanted to reply to everybody. So he sat down with his flip phone and a notepad and Nicole. And he tried to write down everyone who had sent him a text message so that he could reply to them individually. I told myself I was going to respond to everybody. Okay. And I think I did. I'm not sure. I mean, I had like a, I had like a pen and paper. I was like, Nicole, what's area code 817? That's the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Okay, who, who would call me Andy who lives in Dallas-Fort Worth that I play, you know, that if I didn't, I would text a close friend, yeah. you know, or, hey, do you, what's, do you have this number? Yes. <laughs> so I go through, I respond. I delete those messages. I delete the sent messages, and new message would would show up. <laughs> it, was, it was a joke. Oh god! It was comical. This part is relatable. Yeah. <laughs> 
So the 2019 cult season goes on without him. His daughter Lucy was born in November. And then the world shuts down in the beginning months of 2020. And so it's just the three of them in his big house designed for a quarterback that has to be redesigned now. And they had nowhere to go and nothing to deal with other than his bottled up emotions. And Nicole says the floodgates open. He starts asking himself really hard and very philosophical questions. Who am I? Why did I retire? Why did I want to be a quarterback in the first place? Am I tough? What does it mean to be tough? Is my retirement exemplar of a lack of toughness? Or is it actually a courage few could imagine? And he was processing all this stuff out loud. Lots of words leading to very few conclusions. More from Andrew Luck after the break. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. So we have now been hearing Andrew Luck ask himself the biggest questions that a person can ask themselves, like out loud over and over again, Seth. And when do answers actually arrive? They still haven't in many ways. And I think that this is really interesting because it's so essential to Andrew Luck's story. Is it, you know, I think he, he started to tell himself stories of who he was as a father, as a quarterback, and kind of just feeling like he doesn't have clarity on this decision of why he actually retired, why he had done what he'd done, mm. other than he felt like it was the absolute thing that he had to do. You told me how much of your self-identity was yeah. tied to being a quarterback. How yeah. much of it is yeah. now? A, a fair bit still. And I don't think that'll ever go away. And I'm a, I think I'm more and more okay with that. What's the process of being at peace with that life? It's an ongoing process, that's for sure. And I, and I think I understand that I'll be ongoing for a long, long time. And again, he's living like five minutes away from the Colts practice facility, right? Like he is now officially the youngest, most famous person to ever walk away from professional football. Barry Sanders did it at age 31. 
Luck did it at 29. I'm now imagining like him being asked, like kids tugging in the neighborhood, tugging on his coat, asking, why, Mr. Luck, why'd you leave us? And him sort of like spinning off into like, yeah, this larger lack of clarity that he can't really articulate. Absolutely. And remember, he was Andrew Luck. He's the guy who always had the answers, right? He's the one who everyone assumed always had everything figured out. And this was hard for him. And one of the questions that he would ask himself is, well, what role does football have in my life going forward? Yes. He went out to Colorado. He was spending a lot of the winter there skiing. He ended up meeting some ski patrol guys. Of course, he loves ski patrol guys. Of course. And one of them was a high school football coach and asked, hey, would you ever come out and talk to the guys? The sort of thing that Andrew Luck did all the time as a franchise quarterback, as one of the many facets of the job. He had never done it as a retired quarterback. So he said, sure. He walks into the locker room and the smell hits him, that awful smell. And it triggers all these memories of him playing football and playing high school football and how impressionable he was at that age. And he goes out to the practice field and he lines up with the quarterbacks to throw passes. First time he had done that in a long time. This is August of 21. His very first pass, he throws straight into the dirt. <laughs> Still drives him crazy to this day. It's amazing. But afterwards, he takes questions from the players. And the first question he gets is, what's your biggest regret of your NFL career? And I mean, he starts cursing in his head. Like, you got to be kidding me. One of the kids asked me, he's like, what's your biggest regret from your NFL career? I was like, what the f***, dude? That's a like, good question. You're a 14-year-old. I don't know. I know. That's, that's great. And your thought bubble is like, you got to be kidding me. Damn, dude. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I answered honestly, uh, was that I regret retiring when I retired. If I could go back and I knew what I knew, I would have retired right after the season, the previous season. 2018? Yeah, we made it to the playoffs. We won a game in the playoffs. We lose to Kansas City. Great. Okay, the next day. Guys. All right, I, I needed to prove to myself that I could play football again. I gave it all you had this year, but this this is no more for me. This, you know. But I didn't know at that point what I knew. Yeah. Whatever, seven months later. But I think it would have helped some heartache with the, the letting people down. Yeah. You know, feelings. And he had to forgive himself for that. And he had to learn how to forgive himself for that. Because what mattered most to him about football was like the accountability of it. He calls it the Uber accountability. And as he drove home that afternoon, after talking to the team, he could not stop smiling at his memories of football, <laughs> of the good things and the bad things, whatever it was. And he realized that he missed the game. And he realized that he wanted sports, in particular football, to be a part of his life and his working life going forward. I mean, the question that I am now officially asking you that I think listeners are probably asking themselves as they listen to you is, wait, is this guy coming back to the NFL now? Is this what this is all being set up for? No. And it, it's interesting because since he retired, he has been dropping by the Colts facility. You know, this, this team that he, that he left and left devastated. And he would hang out with Frank Reich, who, of course, was the head coach when he left and continued to be the head coach until halfway through the season. And football was a weird albatross and obstacle in their conversations. Like for a while, Reich wouldn't bring up football, trying to be respectful of Luck. They would tiptoe around it. Finally, they started talking about football. And Luck's passion for the game started to come through so much that Reich was asking himself, hey, is he trying to 
tell me that he wants to return to the game. <laughs> there was one day that Reich was driving and message in a bottle, the police song comes on the radio. And I don't know what comes to your mind, Pablo, when you hear that song. But Frank Reich heard that song and he thought, it's a sign. And he uh. pulls over and he constructs, he spends 15 minutes constructing this text message to Andrew Luck, beginning with, I'm sending out an SOS. Well, from now on, I'm probably going to think of this clumsy, almost high school romance text that Frank Reich tried to send Andrew Luck. Yeah, me too. But he sends him a, a text saying like, hey, this is a sign. Please come back. Do you want to come back? We can make this work. And Luck replies, I appreciate the message in the bottle. But the answer is no. And it is still no. Did you ever think about coming back? Uh, there are times I've missed football. Yeah. And think about, oh, what, what would it be like to play, you know? And sort of, <laughs> I think about it. Yeah. Well, it's fun when you play and throw and like games are fun and yeah. I love practice. Like <clears throat> there are so many things I love, loved, still love. And there are parts of it that I miss, but there are parts of my life that I'm not, that, like right now, that I'm not willing to give up to play football. Yeah. I know what it takes to play quarterback in the NFL. And and I am I know that I am not, in many ways, well, one, physically not, not anywhere close to <laughs> doing that, but not willing to, not willing to, uh, to take some of those steps for what it takes to, to, uh, to play quarterback at a high level. Yeah. Being a parent, being a husband, doing those things as well as he wants to do them seemed unrealistic at the time that he retired. And even now, I think he still feels like he couldn't do both. He couldn't devote the amount of energy required to be an NFL quarterback and delve back into that level of selfishness within him to make it Andrew's world and make everyone cater to him and be the kind of husband and dad that he wants to be. And in terms of the person that he's trying to be right now, it is worth noting, Seth, that Andrew and his wife and his family, they've all left Indianapolis, right? They're currently living in Palo Alto near Stanford because, perhaps unsurprisingly, Andrew is trying to get another degree. He is getting his master's in education, he told you, and he's hoping to use that to help him teach and coach football at some level, as you alluded to, in the future. And Stanford is where you met him, right? For the last of your seven one-on-one -on -one interview sessions. So how did that one go? So I ran into him on a building on campus. We met after his philosophy of education class on a morning on the second week of school. He went and got a coffee. It was his second espresso of the day. And he looks like a college student. He had a flannel shirt on. He had a backpack. He had a beat up old Stanford hat, which happened to be the same hat from his undergrad days. He has an iPhone, which is a big, you know, evolution for him. Wait, wait, it's true. wait, 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 wait. This is, you buried the lead. Andrew Luck's flip phone is dead. It is dead. He, he, he discarded it. I think that trying to retrace and track all of the text messages from when he retired finally broke him. Understandable. Yeah. But he was spreading like a college student. He was worried about his course load. He's got a young family. They have a second daughter now, Penelope. He's juggling a lot. He had already dropped a class, even <laughs> though it was the second week of school. And so we sat down at this outdoor cafe with our coffees. We talk about school and why it's been so stressful. And he starts big. Well, why would I want to go back to school? And he kind of continues down this path. And what he 
was struggling to articulate but seemed to be saying was that he needs space. <laughs> he needs space from who he was, the idea of who he was. He wants to be Andrew Luck, something other than a retired quarterback in these education classes. It sounds like you're about to have yet another giant existential chat with Andrew Luck where you guys ask these enormous questions. And we do for a little bit, but then he touches his iPhone and he sees what time it is. And it's time to go pick up Lucy from school. And so he picks up his backpack. He walks over to his bike, which is the only one on the rack with a toddler seat. <laughs> and he says, you know, I kind of need to live this before the story's written. And he's referencing the stories he would tell himself of who he was as a quarterback and as a person. And he strapped on his helmet, he hopped on his bike, and he weaved through some students who were hustling their way to class, and he rounded a corner. And once again, Andrew Luck was gone. Seth Wickersham, thank you for finding him, at least for a little bit, on ESPN Daily. My pleasure, man. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.